Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Welcome everyone to Too Good to Be True, and thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject of today's show is Operation High Jump. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject and research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter and shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names. We apologize. And neither of us have any particular knowledge of military history. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. Operation High Jump was suggested by a listener. So here is a shout-out to the listener. Thank you for the suggestion. Yes, thank you to the listener. I have to ask. It sounds like something you'd be interested in. Have you heard of Operation High Jump? I had, and it's a rather strange story, but I didn't think of Operation High Jump as a possible subject for an episode. The official version of events may not make sense to many and is still a matter of debate today. Well, let's start with the official version. For the official version of events, I will quote from Wikipedia, quote, Operation High Jump, officially titled the United States Navy Antarctic Development Program, 1946 to 1947, was a United States Navy operation organized by Rear Admiral Richard E. Byrd, Jr., United States Navy retired, officer in charge, Task Force 68, and led by Rear Admiral Richard H. Cruzen, United States Navy commanding officer, Task Force 68. Operation High Jump commenced on the 26th of August, 1946, and ended in late February 1947. Task Force 68 included 4,700 men, 13 ships, and 33 aircraft. Operation High Jump's primary mission was to establish the Antarctic Research Base, Little America 4, end quote. The objectives of Corner Chief of Naval Operations, Chester W. Nimitz, were to train personnel and test materials in the frigid zones, consolidate and extend American sovereignty over the largest practical area of the Antarctic continent, determine the feasibility of establishing and maintaining bases in the Antarctic, and to investigate possible base sites, develop techniques for establishing and maintaining air bases on the ice, with particular attention to the latter applicability, sorry, later applicability of such techniques to Greenland, and to amplify existing knowledge of hydrographic geographic, geological, meteorological, and electromagnetic conditions in the area. 
This was just after World War II had ended in 1945. It was the first Antarctic summer after 1945 to 1946, but I already have some questions. The first objective of training and testing equipment in frigid conditions could be achieved in the United States. There are plenty of frigid conditions in Alaska or North Dakota. Also, why go to Antarctica to develop techniques to establish and maintain air bases in Greenland? Why not just go to Greenland and it's much closer to the North Atlantic? Establishing bases seems a bit odd, as in Antarctica now. There are scientific bases that didn't need a fleet of military ships to set up. But that said, years later, air transport has become much more sophisticated and reliable. But scientific research into a particular geography isn't the usual objective for a naval fleet. So what do you think the real objective was? I think that the second objective was the prime objective. That was to consolidate and extend the United States sovereignty over the largest practical area of the Antarctic continent. That's what the military is used for, uh, to take control of territory or prevent territory being taken over. I think it would be a good idea to look more closely at Task Force 68 and see how many research ships or scientists were included. Before we get into the makeup of the task force, let's look at the outcome. Assuming that the United States was trying to extend sovereignty over Antarctica, the mission could not have been successful. The United States, like every other country, doesn't have sovereignty in Antarctica. The fleet that left port wasn't entirely made up of ships and personnel from the United States, according to some sources. A joint British-Norwegian force and a Russian force may have been involved and possibly Australian and Canadian forces involved as well. If that is true, then the force would have been made up of World War II allies. If there were different nations involved, then that wouldn't suggest that achieving sovereignty just for the United States was the major goal. The involvement of multiple nations wasn't in the official version, but gaining sovereignty as an idea would probably be good for funding the operation. But which other countries have laid claim to Antarctica? The official claims for territory include Argentina, Australia, Chile, France, New Zealand, Norway and Britain. But as stated early, earlier, no country has any sovereignty. The Antarctic Treaty signed in 1959 in Washington, D.C. proclaims that Antarctica shall continue to be used forever exclusively for peaceful purposes. The treaty has been in force since 1961 and has 53 countries complying with it. The original signatories were Argentina, Australia, Belgium, Chile, France, Japan, New Zealand, Norway, South Africa, the Soviet Union, Britain and the United States. If Japan signed the treaty in 1959, why didn't Germany? Well, Germany was West Germany in 1961 uh, with East Germany part of the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union would have spoken for East Germany while West Germany probably had other priorities. The now united Germany is now one of the 53 parties complying with the treaty and are one of the consultative parties, meaning they help make decisions in governing Antarctica. Germany now has bases in Antarctica among many other countries, including China. So around the time of World War II, was Germany involved in Antarctica? Part of Antarctica and New Swabia was explored by Germany in early 1939 and, and named after the expedition ship, the Schwabenland. The main purpose apparently was to find an area in Antarctica for a whaling station. Norway had claimed sovereignty over New Swabia as part of Queen Maud Land. So which countries actually had bases or researched research stations in Antarctica in 1946? There were two, the United States and Britain. Let's go back to the makeup of Task Force 68. We know from the Wikipedia article that from the United States, there were 13 naval vessels and 33 aircraft. But other sources, including the Smithsonian, state 23 aircraft. So there may be an error in the Wikipedia article. What were the 13 naval vessels? There was a brand new aircraft carrier, USS Philippine Sea, plus the following. Two destroyers, two seaplane tenders, two tankers, two supply ships, two icebreakers, a communication ship, and a submarine. A seaplane tender, uh, sorry, a seaplane tender is a type of aircraft carrier. The submarine was also recently built and had the first under ice sonar to test the feasibility for under ice operations. 
the task group was split into an eastern group, a western group, a central group and a carrier group. The aircraft included four helicopters, with helicopters have been, having been only recently introduced into United States military service. There didn't seem to be an obvious research or scientific presence in the task force in terms of a ship especially designated as being for research purposes. So how did the operation come about? World War II had ended. Didn't the people in Congress just want to go back to normal life without military operations? Also, wasn't there a huge concern about the threat from communism in the Soviet Union? The Cold War didn't start until 1947, but was only weeks away on December 2nd of 1946 when the task group departed from the Norfolk, Virginia Naval Station. The Truman Doctrine and policy to counter Soviet expansion was first announced to Congress by President Truman in March 1947. During the same year, the United States decided to obtain forces in West Germany. With the world heading for turmoil, the timing of Operation Hiram as a developments program seemed to be a strange priority. According to the Smithsonian website, the operation was both massive and hastily arranged. Here's a quote from the Smithsonian website from historian and author Diane Olson Bellinger, which seems to make sense given the state of the world at the time. Quote, High jump was a significant illustration of the state of the world and the Cold War thinking at the time. The nuclear age had just begun, and the real fears were that the Soviet Union would attack the United States over the North Pole. The Navy had done a training exercise there in the summer of 1946 and felt it needed to do more. The northern winter was coming, and high jump was a quickly planned exercise to move the whole thing to the South Pole. Politically, the orders were that the Navy should do all it could to establish a basis for a land claim in Antarctica. That was classified at, at the time, end quote. That would suggest that the possible participation of the Soviet Union in the operation, as mentioned earlier, was probably unlikely. Also, this explanation makes sense in terms of mounting the operation in the first place and committing such a large force. We haven't mentioned Admiral... Um, Bird, who organized the operation in any detail. Well, after the short break, let's talk about Admiral Byrd, since I haven't heard of him, and let's get some more information about him. But you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV. Plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like x-zone sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. 
do it today. Gwilda Wiaka's latest book, The Science of Magic, Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is the first book in a series based on her writings that open every episode of The Science of Magic radio show. Drawing on the subject matter of each guest, and armed with over 40 years' experience in shamanism, 35 years in alternative health, and degrees in psychology and religious studies, Gwilda introduces relevant and leading-edge information that supports spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Rich with wisdom and inspirational quotes packaged in digestible segments, this is a book that will pull you from cover to cover. It will also serve as a daily inspirational reading for years to come. The Science of Magic Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is available at our website, tsompublications.com, amazon.com, and wherever fine books are sold. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were just getting into who Admiral Byrd was and how he was related to Operation High Jump. So, Dad, who was Admiral Byrd? Well, here's a quote from Wikipedia. Quote, Rear Admiral Richard Evelyn Byrd, Jr., United States Navy, October 25, 1888 to March 11, 1957, was an American naval officer who specialized in feats of exploration. He was a recipient of the Medal of Honor, the highest honor for valor given by the United States, and was a pioneering American aviator, polar explorer, and organizer of polar logistics. Aircraft flights in which he served as a navigator and expedition leader crossed the Atlantic Ocean, uh, a segment of the Arctic Ocean, and a segment of the Antarctic Plateau. Byrd claimed that his expedition had been the first to reach both the North Pole and the South Pole by air. However, his claim to have reached North Pole is disputed, end quote. At the time, he must have been a national figure. Byrd's command ship was one of the icebreakers, USS Mount Olympus. But Admiral Cruzen, as we mentioned, um, commanded Task Force 68 and was in charge of the operation. What was the duration of the operation? That is an interesting question. It's hard to find a clear answer on that or how long it was supposed to have lasted. I found one source that stated that the operation was intended to last six to eight months. Arriving at midsummer and staying six months would mean leaving in midwinter for the United States. I looked up Antarctic sea ice by month. Sea ice is at a minimum during February and is about 50% of its maximum by June. Six to eight months seems to make sense for a massive investment in hardware and manpower. Multiple sources claim that the operation was ended earlier than planned. The last group was reported as leaving uh, as leaving was the Eastern Group, which headed for home on March the 4th, 1947. So the operation only lasted in Antarctica for probably only a half of its intended duration. So what happened? Bad weather was blamed, but there were also fatalities. There was a crash during a blizzard of a Martin Mariner flying boat that killed three crewmen, although six of the crew were rescued. Another fatality occurred when, when one, of the ship's, one of the ship's crew members was involved in an accident when cargo was being unloaded. Those fatalities are certainly tragic, but Antarctica is obviously a dangerous place. Did the military expect that there would be no fatalities? Also, would you expect bad weather in Antarctica even in the summer? It doesn't make sense that the operation would end early unless weather conditions were more severe than normal. I think that the curious thing is that the reason for ending our operation doesn't seem to have been clearly stated. What were the public told? There must have been a press conference. Apparently, there was a veil of secrecy put over the entire operation. However, a documentary movie was later made. Here's another quote from Wikipedia. Quote, the documentary about the expedition, The Secret Land, was filmed entirely by military photographers, both U.S. Navy and U.S. Army, and narrated by actors Robert Taylor, Robert Montgomery, and Van Heflin. It features Chief of Naval Operations Fleet Admiral Chester W. Nimitz in a scene where he is discussing Operation High Jump with Admirals Byrd and Cruzen. The film had reenacted scenes of critical events such as a shipboard damage control and Admiral Byrd throwing items out of an airplane to lighten it to avoid crashing into a mountain. It won the 1948 Academy Award for the best documentary feature, end quote. What did the task force come back with? 
Here's a quote from the website sevpole.com. Quote, the greatest achievement of Operation High Jump was its acquisition of approximately 70,000 aerial photographs of the coast of Antarctica and selected inland areas. But what was expected to be a mapmaker's dream turned out to be a cartographic nightmare when a large percentage of the photographs were rendered useless due to a lack of adequate ground control points. Fortunately, this matter was rectified the following year by a much smaller expedition, Operation Windmill, which succeeded in obtaining most of the needed ground control points. Thus, Operation High Jump was not denied its rightful place in the history books as one of the more productive Antarctic expeditions. End quote. Operation Windmill missions during 1947 and 1948 included supply activities, helicopter reconnaissance of uh, ice flows, scientific surveys, underwater demolition surveys, and convoy exercises. Were there any newspaper articles or news conferences on the return of the task force? There was an article in a Chilean newspaper which is referred to on multiple websites. Here is a quote from the website Beyond Weird. Quote, on March the 5th, 1947, the El Mercurio newspaper of Santiago, Chile, had a headline article on board the Mount Olympus on the high seas, which quoted Byrd in an interview with Lee Van Atta. Admiral Byrd declared today that it was imperative for the United States to initiate immediate defense measures against hostile regions. The Admiral further stated that he didn't want to frighten anyone and Julie, but that it was a bitter reality that in case of a new war, the continental in the United States would be attacked by flying objects that could fly from pole to pole at incredible speeds. Earlier had recommended defense bases at the North Pole. Admiral Byrd repeated the above points of view resulting from his personal knowledge gathered both at the North and South Poles before a news conference held for international news services." End quote. Pictures of the news clipping, which was written in Spanish, are included on several websites as evidence of Admiral Byrd's interview and remarks. Commenting on flying objects which could fly from pole to pole at incredible speed seems extremely odd, especially as the jet engine was in its infancy in 1947. What happened to Admiral Byrd when he returned? He wasn't allowed to hold any news conferences and was hospitalized. Later in 1955, he was in charge of Operation Deep Freeze, Deep Freeze which was part of the International Geophysical Year 1957 and 1958 exploration of the Antarctic. In 1957, he died of a heart ailment aged 68. Some sources speculate that death was not by natural causes. On YouTube, there is a famous video of a CBS television news program, which includes an interview with Admiral Byrd made after Operation High Jump. Here is a quote from Admiral Byrd during the interview regarding United States interest in Antarctica. Quote, it's for science. It's an untouched reservoir of natural resources. Strangely enough, there's an area left in the world today, an area as big as the United States, that's never been seen by a human being, end quote. At this point, the interviewer changes the subject to a trivial matter, which seems odd as Admiral Byrd was becoming very interesting. What was he referring to regarding the area as big as the United States? Isn't Antarctica larger? My rough estimate is that Antarctica as a landmass is about twice the size of the continuous United States. So he could have been talking about Antarctica, but Antarctica by that time had been seen by human beings along with tens of thousands of aerial photographs. Maybe he was talking about the vast area that wouldn't have been photographed. One of the problems with researching this subject is finding facts is, is very difficult. There seems to be websites everywhere that seem to have some really well theories of what actually could have occurred in Antarctica. I don't have a clue if any of this is remotely true, but there's a quote from the website Taboo Data, including an account of one of Admiral Byrd's reconnaissance flights. Quote, February of 1947. Both radar surveillance and radio communication with Bird's plane was lost after all other planes had returned to base camp. After three hours, it became obvious that it was impossible for Bird's plane to have any remaining fuel. However, Admiral Bird did return with quite the story to tell, as is evident in his flight log. 0915. In the distance is what appears to be mountains. 1000. We are crossing over the small mountain range and still proceeding. 
Beyond the mountain range is what appears to be a valley with a small stream running through the center portion. There should be no green valley below. 10.30, encountering more green rolling hills now. The external temperature indicate, indicator reads 74 degrees Fahrenheit. Our navigation instruments are still spinning. Gyroscope is oscillating back and forth. Light here seems different. 11.30, ahead we spot what seems to be a city. This is impossible. All fire port and starboard wings are, strange, are a strange type of aircraft. They are dish-shaped and have a radiant quality. 11.35, our radio crackles and the voice comes through in English. Welcome, Admiral, to our domain. We will land you in exactly seven minutes. Relax, Admiral, you are in good hands. 11.45, after landing, Bird and his radio man were taken to a city by, a tall, by tall blonde men. The city seems to be made of a crystal material. We arrive at a large building that is a type I have never seen before. One of my hosts speaks. Have no fear, Admiral, you are to have an audience with the master. End quote. The log isn't continued on the web so, website. Sorry, There are two main completely out-of-there theories that come out of Operation High Jump, and those are Task Force 68 intimidated by dish-shaped aircraft left Antarctica earlier than planned, the Earth is hollow and a, hospital, and a hospitable environment is within the hollow Earth, which is accessible at Antarctica. But there is a quote that could help tie it all together. Well, I'm beginning to think that these theories are even too wild for you. But what is this quote that might help tie it all together? The following quote is allegedly from 1943 and is attributed to Admiral Carl Dönitz. Quote, the German submarine fleet is proud of having built for the Führer in another part of the world a Shangri-La on land, an impregnable fortress, end quote. Dönitz was commander of the German submarine fleet at the start of World War II. He was later appointed Grand, Grand Admiral of the German Navy. He succeeded Adolf Hitler as head of state by becoming president of Germany in 1945. Well, we'll have to discuss how this actually ties it all together after this short break. And you're listening to Too Good To Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. ABS Media The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 
401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were discussing how this quote ties it all together. So dad, can you explain how this quote even ties all this information together? Yeah, remember that Admiral Byrd talked about the continental United States being uh, possibly attacked by flying objects which could fly from pole to pole at incredible speeds. If the uh, Admiral Byrd flight log is true, that's where he might have seen the flying objects. But which nation had disc-shaped aircraft or high-speed flying objects in World War II? Have you heard of the Nazi Bell or Die Glock? No, but I think I'm about to hear about it. Uh, Wikipedia is more on the subject of Die Glock than on the subject of Operation High Jump. Here's a quote from the Wikipedia article. Quote, Die Glock, German for the Bell, was a purported top-secret Nazi scientific technological device secret weapon, or Wunderwaffe, described by Polish journalist and author Igor Witowski in Pravda o Wunderwaffe 2000. It was later popularized by military journalist and author Nick Cook, as well as by writers such as Joseph P. Farrell and others who associated with Nazi occultism and anti-gravity or pre-energy research. Diglock has become a popular subject of speculation and of and the following similar to science fiction fandom exists around it and other alleged Nazi miracle weapons or Wunderwaffen, end quote. Joseph P. Farrell is mentioned in the quote is an author and academic. Here's part of the, his bio from uh, Goodreads, quote, Joseph P. Farrell is a recognized scholar whose credentials include a Doctor of Philosophy degree from the University of Oxford. His literary contribu contribution is a veritable resume unto itself, covering such fields as Nazi Germany, sacred literature, physics, finances, the Giza pyramids, and music theory." End quote. I have listened to several interviews with Dr. Farrell, and he only works on facts and data. He has been interviewed by Rob McConnell on the Exome Broadcast Network. So I think you are trying to say that the existence of the Nazi bell is supported by at least one credible person. But what do you know about Nick Cook? Here are two quotes from Wikipedia. Quote, Nicholas Julian Cook is a consultant to companies in the defense industry on the issue of climate change. He is a British former aviation journalist as well as the author of fiction and nonfiction works. End quote. Second quote, Cook is also a published author. His book, The Hunt for Zero Point, is published by Century Random House in the UK in 2001 and Broadway Books in the US in 2002, details his 10-year investigation into efforts to crack the holy grail of aerospace propulsion, anti-gravity technology, end quote. It seems that the possibility of a Nazi flying saucer has some credibility. I suppose if Admiral Byrd had said flying sources instead of flying objects, which could fly from pole to pole at incredible speeds, he may not have been taken as seriously as he was. 
So there is a theory and perhaps some evidence that Nazi Germany had advanced technology in the manner of flying saucers that could master gravity. But setting up a base or bases in Antarctica, how would they do that? If the quote from Admiral Dönitz is true, then they must have had must have used submarines. Ships of the German surface fleet were hunted down during World War Two. What other evidence is there for a Nazi base? I can buy into that idea, except why put all those resources thousands of miles away when the Nazis could have used their advanced technology against the Allies? There doesn't seem to be any other evidence of a Nazi base, but I found some indirect evidence that there was something extraordinary happening in Antarctica. Here's a quote from the website, Signs of the Times. Quote, National Geographic featured Bird's high jump story entitled Our Navy Explores Antarctica in its October 1947 issue, but no sooner was it published, the US government immediately pulled virtually every issue of the magazine from circulation, end quote. But Hollywood made the documentary film in 1948 that won an Oscar. Probably the movie didn't include the early departure. Remember the German search for a whaling station in Uswabia? Here is a quote from the website Ancient Code. Uswabenland or Uswabia is located on the Antarctic continent between 20 east and 10 west in Queen Maudland. This faraway land was explored in great detail by the German Antarctic expedition, which even came across parts with fresh water, ice-free areas and vegetation in an area where, according to science, everything is frozen. According to ge geologists who participated in the German expedition, the areas where vegetation was present were due to hot springs or other geothermal sources, end quote. That sounds like Admiral Dönitz Shangri-La. It could be that the United States military set up Operation High Jump to counter a threat from the remnants of Nazi Germany. Whatever happened, Task Force 68 returning early must have been for a good reason. But if the task force was going to involve themselves in military operation, why only take 23 aircraft? Yes, one aircraft carrier could take a lot more than 23 aircraft. If there had been a battle, you would have expected casualties uh, more than the four, more lost aircraft or damaged or lost ships. There weren't any reports of any losses uh, than those that were reported for the four uh, and uh, one, uh, one crashed seaplane. I don't think returning early was just due to bad weather or due to unfortunate accidents. What do you think about the hollow earth theory? I think I'll stick with two uh, tectonic plates with magma underneath except at volcanoes. I don't buy that theory. But it is, it is interesting that Antarctica is governed by treaties so that no country has sovereignty. That should prevent a military force approaching Antarctica again. I wonder if a positive outcome for Operation High Jump is Antarctica remaining as a place for scientific study under the international treaty without the national sovereignty. There must have been a good reason for many of the countries of the world to sit around a table and agree. Maybe that was the major success of the operation. But I think it's time for the first question. What were the objectives of Operation High Jump? Did they include training personnel and testing materials in the frigid zones? They did include those, yes. Also, to consolidate and extend American sovereignty over the largest practical area of the Antarctic continent. For some people, yes. Who were the people? Were they the top brass? So it depended on the people you talked to. So the problem with this operation was that there were many operations all tied into one. So some people had more knowledge of what actually was being tested than other people. So you can think of it as the different ranks and how the knowledge doesn't spread completely through the ranks. Was an objective to determine the feasibility of establishing and maintaining bases in the Antarctic and to investigate possible base sites? No. Was an objective to develop techniques for establishing and maintaining air bases on the ice with particular attention to the later applicability of such techniques to Greenland? No. Was an objective to amplify existing knowledge of hydrographic, geographic, geological, meteorological and electromagnetic conditions in the area? That was done at different times, but not during this operation, no. Were there any other objectives uh, not mentioned? Yes, to study the land and to see if they could find anything within the land. 
Why was the operation arranged so soon after the end of World War II? Because a lot of different testing and measures were taken during World War II, and the world was on edge about finding the newest and greatest, and it was time for the world to explore all different parts, including this land. I've already asked a similar question, but why wouldn't other sites be used for winter training with determining the feasibility and techniques for frigid environments? It could be, but other lands were already explored. Were scientific personnel to study physical properties of the area part of the task force? There are some scientists studying this, again, but that wasn't the main objective, no. I've already asked a similar question, but was the prime objective of, of Operation High Jump to consolidate and extend American sovereignty over the largest practical area of the Antarctic continent? Not exactly, no. Did ships joining from other nations, um, Joint Task Force 68 from, uh, sorry, I'll start that again. Did ships from other nations join Task Force 68 from Britain, Norway, the Soviet Union, Australia, or Canada? Yes. So all of those countries? And more. So is it worth mentioning which countries or doesn't it matter? It doesn't exactly matter, but there was a lot of exploration by all different countries. Why didn't West Germany sign the Antarctic Treaty in 1959? Because Germany wasn't interested in Antarctica at that time, so they didn't think that there was anything there for them. What was the urgency behind Operation High Jump having to, be, having to have been organized for the first Antarctic summer after 1945-1946? Because there was urgency after the war, so they wanted to start as soon as possible. And also they wanted the summer months because of the exploration. Weren't there bigger concerns in the world in 1946, such as the spread of communism rather than sending a naval task force to Antarctica? Yes. Was Operation, was Operation High Jump hastily arranged? Yes. In 1946, was the United States in fear of an attack from either the North Pole or the South Pole? Yes and no. At that time, the United States was afraid of a lot of attacks, but the problem with the North and South Poles at the time was there was little to no exploration. So many different things could have been occurring there, and the United States wanted knowledge of it and wanted to know exactly what was going on. So it's more of mapping the world and seeing where the risks were. Was the operation planned for six to eight months? Yes. I think we're going into a break now, Justina. Why don't you take us into the break? Yes, we'll continue with the psychic insight and the questions after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. Heard of the X Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simo TV. Simo TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like X Zone, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at SimulTV.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. 
Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we're going through the questions and the psychic insight about Operation High Jump. So, Dad, can you please continue with the questions? Sure. Was planning based on the expected weather and the expected amount of sea ice by month around Antarctica? Yes, and this was all done by scientists and their predictions. Did the task force return by March of 1947 because of bad weather and the four fatalities? Yes and no. I'll ask more on that subject later. Why was the Oscar-winning documentary movie made of Operation High Jump? Because it's a very interesting topic, and Antarctica is still a mystery in a way. So a lot of people are very interested in the continent because it is the least explored. And it's very interesting to have a piece of land that little to no humans actually live on. And that's something that a lot of countries are interested in since humans are running out of land. Did the task force come back with approximately 70,000 aerial photographs of the coasts of Antarctica and selected inland areas? Yes. Had the task force, when it headed for home, met all of its objectives? Yes and no. There's still more work that could have been done. Was the El Mercurio newspaper article correct in stating that Admiral Byrd declared that it was imperative for the United States to initiate immediate defence measures against hostile regions? Yes. Did Admiral Byrd further state that he didn't want to frighten anyone and Julie, but that it was a bitter reality that in case of a new war that the continental United States would be attacked by flying objects which could fly from pole to pole at incredible speeds? Yes. Why was Admiral Byrd prevented from holding news uh, news conferences on his return to the United States? Because he signed a non-disclosure agreement, so he was under contract not to speak of what he saw in his knowledge. Why was Admiral Byrd hospitalized on his return to the United States? Because of what happened to him. What did happen to him? He fell ill after a series of experiments, so he did catch a normal sickness, but it was a very stressful situation down there and a very shocking one, so it made his health worsen. Did Admiral Byrd die of natural causes in 1957? Yes. During the CBS television interview, was Admiral Byrd correct that the United States' interest in Antarctica was was an untouched reservoir of natural resources? Yes. At the time of the CBS interview, was there an area bigger than the United States in Antarctica that had never been seen by a human being? Even bigger, but yes. So that... So was that Antarctica itself or somewhere else? Antarctica itself. Were the reported extracts from Admiral Byrd's log from a reconnaissance flight real and not faked? Yes. So they were real? Correct. Were Admiral Byrd and his radio man taken to a crystal city by by tall blonde males? In his mind, that was a real experience. 
Why wasn't the account of his log continued? Because some of the information was private and was not to be shared since some details were too personal to be shared. Was Task Force 68 and personnel from other nations intimidated into leaving Antarctica earlier than planned by disc-shaped aircraft? Yes, there was advanced technology and very different aircraft present, but that wasn't the only reason they left. Is the, hollow, is the Earth hollow with an entrance in Antarctica? No. It's a quote from Admiral Karl Dönitz from 1943, correct, in that the German submarine fleet had built another built in another part of the world, a Shangri-La on land, an impregnable fortress. Not exactly, no. What was the quote based on? It was an idea that seemed very real to him. In his mind, he thought he was correct. Did National Geographic feature Operation High Jump in its October 1947 issue, with the United States government immediately pulling the magazine from circulation? Yes. Was the German military in World War II in possession of the Bell or Die Glock flying saucer that could control gravity? No. What were the flying objects that Admiral Byrd had referred to in various statements? They were UFOs. Was Operation Hijump intended to mitigate a threat from advanced weaponry in a, in a Nazi base or bases in Antarctica? There were studies of materials and weapons, yes, but that wasn't the primary objective. There were other objectives that happened. So yes, they were afraid of the Germans and their possession and their knowledge, but they were also doing research in other places. The reason Antarctica was so interesting to them was because it was unexplored and because of the land use, the elements, and the curiosity of what existed in those parts. Was there advanced Nazi-German weaponry in Antarctica? Not in Antarctica, no. Was there a battle or battles that damaged the task force with the outcome being made secret? No. What happened to make the entire fleet of ships return early? So there were some strange events that took place. So when they went to Antarctica, they really didn't know what to expect, even with the weather conditions, preparations, etc. It was really never done in that way before. But what happened was, yes, there were strange occurrences, strange lights, strange objects, strange noises, etc. Some of the people did get scared and they wanted to turn back. And eventually there's a combination of all these strange happenings and the different conditions of Antarctica and bad preparation. So it became this big storm where multiple things were occurring. And for the safety of everyone, it was best to come back. So the problem with Antarctica even now is that there are strange occurrences because it is unexplored and is way different from anywhere in the world currently. And there are some types of strange objects that were spotted that did freak many of the people out. Were the strange objects UFOs? Yes. There were the four fatalities. There were no other fatalities that occurred. Correct. So there were the casualties that were reported. And the thing was, a lot of strange occurrences weren't reported since nobody wanted to sound crazy. But even people to this day have strange reports of things that happened in Antarctica and obviously other places in the world. But because it's so remote and so few, man, few humans actually visit it, these strange occurrences aren't really recorded as much as if they were more populated by people. But there were different paranormal happenings, strange issues with technology, strange lights, even strange noises. So there was the fear of different creatures present and also these paranormal happenings. So in a way, it was almost like a ghost or some strange creature was present. Did the outcome of Operation High Jump result in Antarctica becoming uh, governed by international treaty? Yes, because they did not want to just give any, just want anyone going there. And there's also the research into obviously what kind of resources are available. So scientists are researching what sorts of resources are available since different governments do want to stay a step ahead for future populations. Even though conditions are extremely difficult, is there a future scene for Antarctica? Yes, and also mining the different minerals, using the land in different ways, even researching the land to be used even for future crops, research, etc. And the thing is, is that it is so remote, it is easy to test future technology, to test unique different experiments without a bunch of humans watching. That was the last answer. Uh, I'm not sure if anything that has been discussed is too good to be true. But was Operation High Jump 
as an overall success too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. The major objective of the United States and apparently other countries actually was exploration, which does make sense. Why do you think that? If there were a military mission, then I wouldn't have expected so many nations to participate, which appears to be the case. How do you successfully coordinate a battle with so many different na navies and languages to contend with? Also, there weren't a bunch of battleships with 16-inch guns in Task Force 68 and only one conventional carrier, but not that many aircraft. The makeup of Task Force 68 certainly suggests exploration. It's clear that they returned earlier than intended. It wasn't just the strange sightings. It sounds like they were not well enough prepared to explore Antarctica. Yeah, four fatalities are obviously four too many, but it was good to hear that there were no more than those reported. If the fleet of, ships, fleet of ships, their personnel and their equipment really weren't prepared for the conditions, it sounds like it could have been far worse. Well, it also looks like there is no hollow earth to talk about. That would go against what we discussed in another episode about the planet and how it's made up, which is the way it is explained in textbooks. What remains in your head as the most curious aspect of the operation? Not the UFOs as publicly described by Admiral Byrd or other strange occurrences. What really seems curious was that the Soviet Union apparently was cooperating in an international naval operation with the United States just as the Cold War was about to start. Joseph Stalin was Premier of the Soviet Union until 1952. It was not as if there was a change in leadership between World War II and the start of the Cold War. Also, if it was truly an international operation, not just involving Task Force 68 for the United States, why not just celebrate the fact? You seem to have some unanswered questions. I'm beginning to think that we should have thought through more questions in preparing for the show. The main focus was why the operation ended so abruptly and why the lack of clear official reasoning for why it was the case. The fact that Antarctica has ended up being governed by a council of nations is a great outcome. With the natural environment being so climatically hostile, nations may have to cooperate just to ensure that all the people living and working in Antarctica remain safe. That's a good point about unanswered questions. We have quite a few episodes out there. We haven't heard from a listener saying that they had more questions or would like to get an answer to a particular question. If a listener has a question or questions regarding any of the episodes, we'd be happy to try and answer it. Finally, I think we need to mention again that Operation High Jump was suggested by a listener, so another shout out. So uh, we're always looking for more suggestions, so don't hold back. Yes, then we should mention our Facebook page. So if you go to Facebook and you type in Too Good To Be True with the first two spelled T-W-O, you can like our page, message us on there, communicate with us, and give us any suggestions or questions you may have. And as always, thank you to all the listeners, and we look forward to next week's show. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? 
we can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.